Hello, and thank you for listening to the Vineyard Church Springbrook podcast of Vineyard Church right here in Alcoa, Tennessee. If you haven't already, you can check out our website for more information about our church or find our audio archive with all of our previous messages at www.vineyardchurch.us. You can also subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts. Now, let's hear this week's message. Hey, we're so excited. We are starting a a new series over the next seven weeks, seven or eight weeks uh, here at the Vineyard um, called Extraordinary. And here's why we call it that. We believe that um, when you look back through history and in the scriptures, um, that like big moves of God often begin with extraordinary prayer and fasting. And so we wanted to take the summer and look at those things, uh, look at prayer, look at fasting, look at um, ways that we can like uh, just symbolically and physically turn ourselves toward Jesus and toward what he's doing, uh, not just um, in the world and in our community, but in this room and in us as people, both as individuals and as a, as a family. So Chad's going to start us out this week. Woo-hoo. Okay, here's our scripture reading. Luke 5. It'll be on the screen if you want to follow along. We're going to read verses 33 through 39. Then they said to him, John's disciples fast often and say prayers, and those of the Pharisees do the same, but yours eat and drink. Jesus said to them, you can't make the wedding guests fast while the groom is with them, can you? But the time will come when the groom will be taken away from them. Then they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable, no tears No one tears a patch from a new garment, but puts it on an old garment. Otherwise, not only will he tear the new, but also a piece from the new garment will not match the old. No one puts the new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. It will spill, and the skins will be ruined. No new wine is put into fresh wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, wants new because he says, the old is better. This is the gospel of Christ. Thanks be to God. And here we go. <laughs> Off to a good start this morning. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> oh, my. Let's pray. <laughs> uh, Jesus, we um, thank you for your presence in this room. And right now, we would ask that you would increase it. Increase your presence, Lord, in us and on us in this room, make us aware of your presence and what you're doing in this room. And Father, we love you. And it's in your name we pray, amen. Um, So as Lindsay said, we're jumping into a new sermon series for this summer. If you guys have been around here for any length of time, we know we, you know we normally jump into the Psalms, uh, but this year we felt a drift to go towards prayer. Um, and so to kind of explain this, back in 2021, um, I went through a 12-week uh, cohort uh, discipleship with a group of people from an organization called the Kansas City Underground. Um, they are a network of microchurches in the Kansas City area that are leaning into creating a network of decentralized churches. And so um, we're an organized church, and they wanted to decentralize. And so they have a bunch of these small little gatherings of churches in certain neighborhoods throughout Kansas City uh, through affinities like bowling, CrossFit, things like that. And these churches all function under this network called the Kansas City Underground, which only exists to train, equip, and coach all these churches together. 
um, sharing resources to further the gospel of the kingdom. And when getting trained by these guys, um, they take you through a missionary pathway training. And the first two weeks of training revolves around what they uh, coined the term extraordinary prayer and fasting. And they used that saying that Lindsay used, saying that every great move of God begins with a call to extraordinary prayer and fasting. And that little line is so true. Um, because all throughout church history and revival, uh, what we see is when the church turns to God in prayer, uh, whether in big gatherings or really, really small, like um, there was a revival in Kentucky that broke out with 20 people in attendance in a prayer meeting, and it spread like crazy. And, and, and God just does those things because here's the deal. In our gifts and talents, guys, we can do a lot of good things. We can build big churches and provide for the poor. We can do a lot of big things, but for a disciple-making movement or for a true move of God, we need to turn to God in complete dependence because we can't do this in and of ourselves. And so that's what we're going to do over the next few weeks. We're just going to turn to God and kind of lean into him. Um, And in that training, one of their leaders named Brian Johnson explained that he heard it explained somewhere that to do something extraordinary All that you have to do is add something extra to your already ordinary praxis. Um, So extraordinary prayer looks like just adding something extra onto your ordinary prayer life, and then that becomes extraordinary. And when running with that theme over the next few weeks, um, we're going to talk about prayer and how to pray, but each week our church will have a new practice to enter into. We're going to, as a church, enter into extraordinary prayer by adding an extra practice to our already ordinary prayer life. And guys, and looking at it that way is really encouraging to me because once I lean into some new rhythms in my life and practices and those become a normative in my life, I do them for a while and I get used to them. Then as a result, I increase in my awareness of the Father. I increase in my awareness of his voice. Um, And I'm just more connected with my Father. And then that encourages me to add something extra onto that, right? So we're always building. Um, And so that's what we're going to talk about for the next few weeks. And I want to say this real quick. Because I find it interesting that currently in our church, if you've been here for the last two weeks, we have seen the slight work of the Spirit and exposing places in our lives and calling us to like this place of repentance. Two weeks ago, I had to preach for Lindsay. I found out at 10 p.m. I came in and I preached the next day and I told the Lord, hey, I don't have a Selah. I'm just going to listen to what you're doing. And during that time, Jesus was like, hey, hey. Just ask, ask, ask us as a church to repent of some unbelief in the goodness and character of God. And so I invited the church into that. We showed up at the vineyard, and if you guys know, we're a venue with another church called the, Mar- called the Maryville Vineyard. Um, and we meet as a staff, everyone together once a month, and we met as a staff, and, and, and there was some repentance around that same thing too. And here's the deal, guys. And one thing you have to understand, I've been a pastor for a while and I know this. If you get pastors all in the same room and they start to repent openly to one another, that takes a move of the Spirit. Um, See, Lindsay's laughing because she knows. She's a pastor. Um, um, It doesn't happen often. And we kind of sat in that meeting and we brought that up and it was like, no, 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 no. We talked about it this past Sunday. Or no, they talked about it this past Sunday. And so it seems like a work that God's doing. And I find it 
interesting that that's happening on the heels of a sermon series about extraordinary prayer and fasting. Um, and I say that because it feels like God is positioning and readying us for a move of a spirit. Right? And so this sermon series is like an invitation to align ourselves with God and just see what he wants to do among us. Um, and I think God's going, going, going to move in ways we haven't seen him move before. We're going to encounter him in ways that we always wish we could have. And so with that intro out of the way, I want to talk about the most exciting practice that, I, that uh, we're going to talk about the whole seven weeks. It's the funnest practice. Uh, it's Father's Day. You're welcome, fathers. We're going to talk about fasting. I can feel the excitement. You guys are like, ah, oh, we should have went to Sony's or something this morning. Skipping this. Um, I get it. Um, fasting, guys, according to the Bible, is an act of voluntary is a voluntary act to reduce or eliminate your intake of food for a specific time and purpose. Um, or in other places in the Bible, we see it as refraining from a praxis to turn to God. So it can be food or it can be a praxis, but mostly it's turning to God. And I want to talk about, I want to get through three things this morning. The first thing is, what is Jesus' heart behind the discipline of fasting? What is the purpose of fasting? And then how do we do it? Because I think this practice has a bad rap in the church. Um, because like most things, we have a tendency to take a beautiful gift that Jesus has given us and make it a burden and really religious. We have such an ability to do that. Fasting is powerful and full of freedom, but I feel most of our experience is religious and unfruitful. I don't know how many would raise your hands, but there's probably a lot in this room. I would raise my own hand. Um, and because of that, it is an area that causes a lot of same bondage instead of life and freedom in which it was, it was always meant to give. And so we're going to jump into this topic in verse 33. It starts off saying, then they said to him. And who is they? The they is a sect, a religious sect in Jesus' day called the Pharisees. And this comes at a time, um, if you guys read before this, uh, Jesus calls Matthew. Matthew then comes back, invites us all, all of his tax collectors, friends, and a whole bunch of sinners, the Bible says. And they're having a party with Jesus. And the Pharisees see this, and they come to Jesus, and they say, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And they go through that process with Jesus. Doesn't work out too well. Wasn't a great question. And so then they ask Jesus another question, which it's not really a question. It's a statement. They say, uh, John's disciples fast often and say prayers, and those of the Pharisees do the same, but yours eat and drink. Um, it sounds like they're curious. They are not at all. They are not curious at all. Uh, but they are confused as to why Jesus' disciples don't fast, because Jesus is this holy man, and if you're a holy man, you fast. Um, and they don't set that up as a question. It's a statement. Um, and if we go on, it's Jesus said to them, you can make the wedding guests fast while the groom is with them, can you? But the time will come when the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. And then Jesus oddly, in this exchange, jumps into a parable. And guys, um, I always want to say this, whenever we see Jesus giving a parable, it's that Jesus is always saying one to look for a response, right? He wants someone to ask a follow-up question. And so he goes on to say, no one tears a patch from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. 
Otherwise, not only will he tear the new, but also the piece from the new garment will not match the old, and no one puts new wine in the old wineskins, otherwise the new wine will burst in skins. It will spill and the skins will be ruined. No, new wine is put in the fresh wineskins, and no one after drinking old wine wants new because he says the old is better. Um, so first we see Jesus tell them that you don't fast at the wedding party is going on and the groom is present. You don't fast during the party. I don't know about you guys, fasting during parties suck. Um, and Jesus also knew that. You don't fast as, at, at, at a wedding. You feast at one. Um, and while the groom's present, you don't like fast at all. And Jesus is that groom. He is present, and right now for his disciples, there's about a three-year span of a party going on. And they're present to this outflowing of God, God in the flesh with them. There is no reason for them to fast. Or flesh. Um, there's no reason for them to fast because God is with them. It's not the right time, but Jesus says there will come a time when they will. So that's the first thing Jesus says. And then Jared, Jesus tells this parable that is actually, um, he's now going after their belief system. That's why Jesus says it. He says, when you tear a patch from a new garment, you ruin the new garment, right? So if I tore my sleeve off, I would ruin the shirt. Now, some of you may still wear the shirt. I wouldn't. Um, um, but basically, my shirt would be ruined. And then, and then if I took that patch and tried to put it on an old garment, it wouldn't match. The material, the material may be different. It wouldn't fit. And so they're both ruined. Um, and then for wine, you need a new wineskin to contain it. Or the old wineskin will burst, and the new wine that you put into that old wineskin will go to the ground, and it can't be enjoyed, and it's ruined. And what Jesus is getting at here is you have an old way of understanding things according to your religious traditions. The Pharisees were mainly concerned with pure, with pure, with righteousness and purity all throughout their teaching. They believed the sin of their ancestors and the current sins of Israel. Um, were why they were under the bondage of the Roman government and that God was mad and disappointed with them. So to get back the favor, love, and acceptance of God and to get them back out of the judgment of God, which to them was being governed and oppressed by the rule of Rome, they tried to follow the law upon which the sect based their assumptions of righteousness. And so they did things like tithing. They tithed every week. They prayed. And they fasted twice a week. The Pharisees habitually fasted twice a week, usually on the second and fifth days of the week. And those are interesting days because um, those two days of the week are major days of the Jewish, in the Jewish market. Uh, that meant the city was packed with farmers, merchants, and shoppers. Therefore, these days were not just like secret fasting. It was public fasting. And it would have the largest audience possible for their fasting. So not only did they display their righteousness and work to purity, they seemingly tried to make the biggest statement they could the same others. See, we're righteous. We're trying to get back on the good side of God. You guys need to do this with us. Um, and that's not a terrible reason, right? Right? Like, like, like the heart is we're under this bondage. We're, we're, we're in this situation because of our sin, and we need to get out of it. The only issue is they had no clue how to relate with God. And what Jesus was saying is, if you mix this new teaching 
the new covenant and the kingdom of God, which I am teaching you right now, with, with your religious works and traditions, you will ruin both of them. You will need a new wineskin to put this new teaching into practice. You need a new understanding to thrive in your practices. Jesus is saying that fasting is not about earning righteousness, love, or favor from him. If you place fasting back into that understanding, it will never be fruitful. And that's why I think a lot of the times we see fasting as unfruitful. Because under the new covenant, your works are cool, guys. Okay, they're cool. They're great. Um, but they don't earn love, righteousness, or acceptance from God. The blood of Jesus and his sacrifice already did that for us. So Jesus is coming to introduce this new way of understanding life in relation to God. And it is about to come through the cross and resurrection, and the Pharisees just have no grid for what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is coming and challenging their long-held beliefs and mindsets that have completely misrepresented his Father's heart. Like they have continually taken something that was good and that God has given them and misrepresented the Father's heart with it and made it religious and a burden upon them and the people of Israel. And Jesus comes to fight against this, hoping to renew and transform the minds of people. You can't take the mindset of the law and works and find favor with God and connect it with the grace that we live in, guys. We can't take those and live a life of grace with Jesus. One of the reasons the Pharisees hated Jesus was because he didn't follow their works of righteousness. Because of, and because of that, Jesus was offensive and blasphemous to God in their minds. And Jesus was the reason why they were continuing to be in this judgment of God. All the while, Jesus among them, God among them, was proof that they didn't have to work to earn God's favor. God was looking them in the face, displaying favor and love, and they missed it. In this passage, Jesus is teaching them and us that fasting is not about earning anything from God. Because all things through Christ have already been given to us. If you guys remember a few weeks ago, I told you uh, a story about me. Uh, there was a vineyard pastor coming in. How many of you remember that story? Some of you weren't here. The Cliff Notes version of that story, I prayed for eight years for a filling of the Spirit. A vineyard pastor who comes and he moves in Holy Spirit ministry. All of the world comes in. And I was like, man, I just want you to lay hands on me and pray for the whole Holy Spirit to come. He did, the Holy Spirit came, and in the midst of the Holy Spirit just coming in power upon me, during, during that time, he walks over and says, hey, you need to repent of your sin of unbelief. I got upset because I've been praying for this for eight years. You haven't seen my fasting. You haven't seen my prayers about this. And then Jesus, um, or the Spirit speaks to me and says, hey, it's not that you didn't believe the doctrine. You just didn't believe I was good enough to give it to you. And in my kindness, I didn't. Because if I did, you would have thought you could earn it. And I wouldn't allow you to do that. Um, what I didn't tell you guys is that week we knew Steve was coming in, so I declared a fast. I was like, I'm going to fast three days before he comes. I'm going to get real ready. He's going to pray. It's going to happen. First day, ruin it by noon. I was eating food. <laughs> Second day, it was 8.30. I was hungry. I ate. Third day, got to noon, figured screwed up the first two days. <laughs> Doesn't matter now. Might as well have five cupcakes and some ribs. Um, if you guys know me, I'm either fasting or feasting. 
that's how I live. I don't play. Either I eat or it's like uh, the other week I had six donuts in a morning, okay? So that's my life. Um, um, and so Jesus saw all that and was like, this is the perfect time to bless this guy. Um, and, and, and guys, and, and in that, I saw all my sin. I marveled at why God would answer this prayer of mine. So in order to get God's attention, I thought I needed to pray and fast. I thought then God would have more favor of me. I would look more acceptable and be more right in his eyes. And when God came and spoke that to me, after, obviously, I failed mis- mis- miserably, he just said, hey, it's not about you making yourself right. I've already done that. You just have to receive it. Um, and guys, this isn't a new thing, uh, and I would like to say I've learned from that. But here's what I know in my life. If I set my mind to something real urgent and I'm going for a breakthrough in my life, I'm going to set a time in which I'm going to pray and fast. I'm going to fail, and I'm going to have the biggest breakthrough in my life. Um, that has happened more than just that one time since then. It's happened multiple times. God's like, oh, yeah, you finally failed. Great, now I can bless you. You're done trying to earn it. Let me help you now. Um, and at times, just like the Pharisees in Jesus' day, I'm unable to receive what God was more than ready and willing to give. Um, operating from a mindset that I needed to be better or I needed to do something to earn it. And so that's what Jesus is getting at with fasting. You don't fast to get your prayer answered. You don't fast to earn anything from God. You fast from the favor, love, acceptance of God, and that he has already given us everything, so we just have to align ourselves to receive. That's what fasting does. So what is the purpose of fasting? It's about connection and alignment with God, guys. It's not about earning. It's not about God will see my fasting and answer my prayers because I'm so earnest about this. Um, Henry Nouwen has a quote that says, many of my daily preoccupations suggest that I belong to the world more than God. I don't know about you guys, that rings home in my life. How many of you have ever felt that way? I know I have. Um, And I am so dominated at times by my own desires in life and by what I see, feel, taste, and think that I oftentimes don't live a fully alive life to God and the world. I'm unable to see in a moment through a kingdom lens. I just see through my natural, sometimes selfish lens that I sometimes have. And fasting is about giving up something in order to align with God. The Bible says we live by faith, not by sight, and it is the fight of faith for us to not be so dominated by our senses um, that we fail to see the world as God sees the world, that I fail to see myself as God sees me. Jesus has a story about this. It's in Matthew 17. He says, when they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. Jesus says, you unbelieving and perverse generation. Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of the boy, and he was healed at that moment. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, because you have so little faith. Truly I tell you, if you have the faith of a, as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, 
and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Um, um, and they leave it out of this tagline of a verse, but uh, in the book of Mark, they added it in. Jesus says at the end, this kind, this kind will not come out by prayer and fasting. And so Jesus links prayer and fasting here, and I think he does it for a reason. Um, and so let's just go on a journey in this story. Imagine you, you've been commissioned by Jesus, you've been sent out before, you've prayed for the sick, you've seen people healed, and in this moment, Jesus is up on the mountain of transfiguration with the other three boys, and you're down there. This man brings his seizing son to you, and you're praying for him, and nothing's happening at all, and Jesus is coming down, and they, and they say, hey, your disciples can't heal him. Jesus says, you perverse and corrupt generation, how long Will I have to be with you? Bring the boy here to me. I don't know about you guys, but if I were those guys, I would have made a doctrine or a belief that says, um, well, sometimes God heals, sometimes he doesn't. It's the kingdom of God. And this is one of those times he's just not going to. It's not God's will. But then you see Jesus come down, and Jesus is like, nah, it is my will. I'm going to heal this boy. And then his disciples come and say, Jesus, why weren't we able to do this? And Jesus runs into this theme of belief. If you had the faith of a mustard seed, then basically you could say to this mountain, move, and it would move. And then he says, this kind will not come out by fasting or prayer. Um, that has always been thought of and, and referred to the spirit. Oh, this is a tough spirit. It would only come out by fasting and prayer. But I think Jesus was saying this kind of unbelief. You're not seeing the world the way that I'm seeing. What you saw was a seizing boy in front of you. And I don't know about you guys. Um, my brother used to have a lot of seizures. But, but, but whenever he would seize, I wouldn't be filled with faith. I wouldn't be seen from a kingdom lens. I would be worried. I'd be fearful. We have to help him. We have to do something. I would be so drawn by my own feelings and senses that I would kind of forget the sense of the kingdom of God. And I wouldn't live and pray and operate through that lens. And what Jesus is saying is that we have senses that we love to live from sometimes, and they're great and good. But during this time, you needed to see from a kingdom perspective. And what will help you do that? Prayer and fasting. If you fast, you'll be able to align you. You will align with me in faith. You will see more of me. You will turn from your natural senses and you'll turn to me and you'll be able to operate in a little bit more faith. That's all Jesus was saying. When we fast, we deny our carnal, fleshly nature. We suppress our selfish motives, our pride, our wants to earn love and acclaim from men and turn our heart towards God so that we can come into those places and align our heart with his. And I find that whenever I do that, love and faith just flows a tad bit more freely. My wife will tell you, I have moments which I come home. I don't know if any of you else do this. I do this. I'll come home and complain. And I'll complain to her about uh, people don't want to do things the way I want to do things. My way is always the right way. I wish people would do what I want to do. And, and I don't know why it surprises me. I'll be like, oh, I'm filled with a lot of pride right now. And I'll just look, her and look at her and be like, I probably need to fast a few days this week. Because my heart's not aligned with God's heart, right? I'm not earning God's love and favor. I'm just saying, ah, my heart's not aligned with God. I need to take some time to set it aside with him to align my heart with his. And sometimes he meets me beautifully in that. Sometimes it's a struggle. Um, 
And thus, guys, it helps us to connect and commune with him. Do you, you guys get that, con, that uh, concept? Is that when my heart is aligned with him, I just operate in more faith. I see the world the way that God sees the world. And fasting helps us align our hearts with his heart. It allows me to deny some of my selfish natures and turn to God. Um, and real quick, I want to say this. Um, and some of you um, may not be like, hey, food's not my thing. That's okay. Um, just stop watching some TikToks. Pray a little. <laughs> That's my encouragement even to myself. And so, and, and, and so, guys, the purpose of fasting is just aligning our heart with God's heart. So how do we do it? How do we fast? Here's the deal, guys. And in, in, in that concept that it's not a law, but it's from freedom and grace, I can't really tell you how you should fast. It's really hard for me to tell you, hey, this is how you should do it. I can't give you an exact blueprint for how you should. Um, for some of you in the room, you're more than capable from fasting from food. And let me say, it's going to be hard. It's not the easiest thing in the world. Um, let me say this. I started working out at CrossFit. I, I just didn't go in deadlifting 225. It took me eight months to get there. I started deadlifting 115 because I was terrified I'd hurt myself. Okay, right? And, 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 and so prayer is kind of that way. And fasting is kind of that way. You just don't jump in and start deadlifting 225. You got to work. And Jesus sees that. And it's all the same. It's all the same. I often, guys, just fast for breakfast. Um, I don't eat any food till about noon. And in my relationship with Jesus, and so this is me, it's okay for me to drink a cup of coffee. Perfectly fine. Jesus, when my relationship with him, sees nothing wrong with me doing that. And I do that a lot. This past week, I fasted till three in the afternoon for two days, for a couple of days, and I drank a cup of coffee. There's sometimes in that Jesus is like, hey, don't drink coffee this time. I'm like, okay. Right? Because, guys, it's not a law. It's not a rule. It's freedom and grace. And it comes through your relationship with Jesus. And then on some rare occasions, I don't drink coffee while, while, while I do that. And that's when Jesus is like, hey, you need to fast for one to three days. Which, guys, I don't do three-day fasts often. Maybe like twice a year. And Jesus does it for a specific reason in my life. Um, and I've never fasted over three days in my life at all. Um, and, 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 and so, guys, do you, you see how it's hard to like tell you, oh, you, it's perfectly fine for you, Lindsay, to drink coffee. You should do that, but that may not be what Jesus is asking her to do. Um, and so, guys, there's freedom and grace, and that may seem hard and kind of blurry, but honestly, it's your relationship with Jesus. It's how you and him operate, and you just have to figure that out. But for some of you, that just isn't wise due to health issues are certain, are certain eating disorders and things like that, and that's okay. Jesus completely understands and sees that. But there are ways you could feasibly fast. I told you about TikToks. For me, I got to stop watching Instagram reels of cute golden retrievers. Um, that takes up about 30 to 40 minutes of my day. <laughs> because me and my wife send them to one another. I get hers. She gets mine. Her sister sends me some. I love them. They're hilarious and cute. If you want some, follow me. I'll be glad to send you some. They're funny and cute. Um, but um, instead of doing that, I just say, hey, I'm going to give up 
Twitter, I'm going to give up this, I'm going to give up this TV show, and I'm just going to turn to God, turn to God and come alive to him during this time. My wife for Lent gave up fiction. And you may be like, there's nothing wrong with fiction, but she was reading it a lot. And once she gave it up, and she gave it up for Lent, like my wife came alive, and she would tell you that all the same. It was a tad bit of an addiction for her. And she's like, hey, this is getting in the way of me and Jesus communing and talking. I'm just going to give this up. And my life came alive, more alive than I've ever been after a three-day fast. So if that tells you anything, that works just as much. But guys, you can't go back into making fasting a law. You can't do it. And let me give you some help. If you decide I'm going to fast till 3 p.m. and 11 p.m. comes... There's a cookie at work, and everyone's having cookie, and you're like, I don't want to be left out on cookies. So you end up eating a cookie. There's no reason to feel condemnation or guilt. And you ask why. It's because this isn't a law, guys. You fast from grace. You already fast from love, acceptance, and favor with God. And so there's no judgment with God. In fact, I'm going to say this. God is probably happy that you set your heart to do that. Oftentimes when I fast, I don't pray. I just fast from food as I'm going about my day. And that fasting itself is my prayer with God some, sometimes. And God sees that and loves that. And so basically, if you set out, I'm going to fast for three days. But then on the first day, you have dinner. And you're like, God, I'm sorry I was going to do this. Ah, oh, You're not going to bless me. I'm not going to get what I was asking from you. Just know that that's not God's heart towards you. That God is actually probably saying, I love that you're leaning into this. I love that you're growing. I love that you're taking a chance and stepping into fasting. Oftentimes, I like to align my heart with God. Whenever I mess up when fasting, I feel condemnation and guilt because I love shame. My, I love shame so much. I have to fight shame all the time in my life. And oftentimes, if I mess up, if I eat if I'm doing a three-day fast and I end up eating at the end of the first day, I'll just raise my hands in the air alone in the room, alone with God, and be, God, I thank you that you love me, that you're growing me, that you're fathering my heart, that I'm coming more alive to you. Jesus, I ask that you would come and father me. Help me keep on growing in you because it's a relationship. It's not a law. Are you, are you guys with me on that? I know that may seem vague. Right? I, I, I get it. But lean into it, and let's see what happens. Okay, so we're going to end here. The band can come up. Sorry, had an intro and then give this. I know I went a little bit long today. But real quick, I want to say this to you guys. At the end of each week during, during the series, we're going to have a time in which we call um, for the week. We'll have a discipline for you guys to do. It's going to be called Five Minutes of Try. And we've taken that term. If you guys heard me uh, preach a sermon a few months back on try, it was from a guy named Jordan Singh who blessed my life in 2014. And I just had lived over eight years of being a person of try. And so I gave that sermon to you guys. Um, um, and so for five minutes every day, guys, you may, be, you may just say, well, can God meet me in five minutes? I don't know, probably. Right? Probably. So why don't I just try? Five minutes every day. Uh, this week is fasting. Some of you may be like, I'm just going to try for five minutes. <laughs> five, I've already done it since I've been here. <laughs> um, um, what I want to say, don't do five minutes to try this week. Um, we don't have 
the practice this week is fasting. And so what we are inviting you guys into with us um, is to fast with us. Every Wednesday, our church staff fasts and we pray. We have specific prayer points. And we have prayer points that we would also like you guys to pray with us this Wednesday. Whenever you fast and however you fast. And these prayer points are these up on the screen. Uh, Please take a picture of them. Um, And if not, if you don't want to take a picture, they will be up on all our Instagram and Facebook accounts. So check them out during the week. The first one is that God would increase our faith as a church and expose our places of unbelief. We believe this is just a work that just in the last two weeks, God has started in our church. And we want as a church to lean into that together. The second one is that the Holy Spirit would break the strongholds, strongholds and lies that plague our community. There are lies that people believe about themselves and other people in our community, and we want to pray that God would intervene and break those. The third one we have is that the Holy Spirit would break the strongholds and lies that plague our own hearts and lives because there are false things that we believe about ourselves. There are false ways that we believe about Jesus that hurts our communion and alignment with him. And so basically we want to pray for our community that those strongholds and lies will be broken over us. And then the fourth thing is for a building for our church um, that would serve. Now, now, Now I want you guys to really listen to this. We don't just want a building. Uh, We want a building that would serve not just our own needs, but the needs all over our community. Um, We just don't want a building to build build a big church and to be great. We want a building that would specifically be able, first and foremost, be able to serve our community. Um, And so we are asking you guys to pray this. That's on Wednesday. Um, And so this Wednesday, however you want to fast, if you're like, I can't fast on Wednesday because I have uh, a breakfast meeting, I have a lunch meeting, and I have all these things, well, fast on Tuesday or Monday. There's no legit laws with this guy. Guys, it's all grace. It's all freedom in Jesus. And so um, for Selah right now, I'm just going to ask you this. Ask Jesus how you're going to do it. And for some of you, it won't be food. For some of you, it may be food. And so ask Jesus how you're going to do it. And we're going to take a moment, um, and then I'll end this in prayer, and Lindsay will come up.